0: Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Wednesday, April the 26th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, Diane Abbott, the Labour MP, makes comments that get her into hot water and a suspension from the Labour Party in the United Kingdom. I'll talk about this and explain and analyse And I'll also give my view on Diane Abbott and what she said. Plus, President Joe Biden launches his re-election bid. I'll play you the audio, plus I'll be talking about voting and about what we need to do ahead of the 2024 presidential election here in the United States. All of that coming up next. Dear listener, welcome, welcome, welcome to this brand new edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. So good to have you aboard here on this Wednesday. It's hump day. I hope that your Wednesday continues to be fulfilling. If it has not been thus far, then I hope that it becomes that. And if it's not, then let's hope that Thursday brings a brighter yield, a brighter return for you, I should say. As we go through here on this final week of April, my goodness me, we are final full week of April. We are fast coming into May. It is around the bend. My my goodness me, this month went by really quickly, didn't it? The month of April. And, you know, I do tend to check in with you, dear listener, every few weeks and months to find out how your year is progressing, or at least to ask you how you are feeling about your year. And how far along you are getting in your year in terms of what you wish to do with your year in 2023. I do this pretty much every year. So that episode is coming where I will be asking you or just kind of throwing out there for you. um, Just some ruminations about the year that has happened for you thus far and how it's going. So that's coming. And also, of course, we'll be doing a number of other things here. I have not forgotten about a number of episodes ...that I need to take on board here. Again, um, Shemaima Begum is another person that I've been talking about for months now... ...but not got to the specifics of an episode of... Um, ...in terms of, so you can understand... Uh, ...those of you who may not be familiar with that person... ...Shemima Begum... ...what the story is as far as she is concerned. And I will get to that um, down the road here. And a few other things as well. Civics lesson... In terms of what we need to be doing and, and understanding how the state's going, what's going on in these states across the country. Because as we go through here in 2023 and get ready for the 2024 presidential election next year, we need to know about what's going on in these states, what kinds of things are happening, what the Republicans are doing to undermine the so-called democracy that we've got and how Democrats are doing and what they are doing to counter that and also what they're doing proactively because they don't want to sit here and and give you this impression that Democrats just react to what Republicans do. The Democrats in this country, in a lot of states, and of course on the federal level, are doing a lot of things proactively that aren't getting attention. And also, as I've talked about, and I'm sure you know, dear listener, Democrats can sometimes be the worst messengers or messages of their own great accomplishments. And I think that the Biden administration, for example, on the federal level, are improving their skills around that. They are improving. But we need this not just on the federal level. We need improvement everywhere. And that means better PR. It means people who have a really good eye for doing these campaigns. And it just means ways of getting to people, rather than just putting ads on digital Platforms Again, I've talked about this ad infinitum. You need to get to the people. You need to actually be on the ground. And that's why, and I'll get to this later, I think. Um, that's why you need to be supporting groups like Black Voters Matter. They are the organization, and there are others, but I think of them because I really do like what they do, who are on the ground year-round. That, that rhymes. On the ground, year-round. Year-round, on the ground. That's Black Voters Matter. They are in states across the country doing bus tours people on the ground setting up offices getting to know the people you know giving out merchandise for free free hats and t-shirts black voters matter is a really important organization and i i donate to them from time to time time to time and you should as well black voters matter black voters matter fund f-u-n-d dot o-r-g that's where you need to go to dear listener black voters matter fund dot o-r-g you need to go there now and donate some money to an organization that does phenomenal work they work harder than i think anybody else in terms of getting people out to vote they spend so much time they're not the nonprofit organization that spends so much time on the ground across the country, turning out voters. And you really need to understand that that's where elections get won and lost. They don't get won and lost on messaging so much, although it is important to tell people what you've done. You know where elections really get won and lost? Turnout. That's where elections get won and lost. Turnout. If you stay home, It's more than likely that the political party that more often than not champions what you support and what benefits you are likely to lose. It's more often than not that they end up losing. But if you get out and vote, and if you tell your friends to get out and vote, and there's a big turnout, more often than not, you're going to win. You're going to win these things. It comes down to turnout. And the engine behind turnout are organisations like Black Voters Matter? So please, dear listener, donate now to Black Voters Matter Fund, F-U-N-D. dot o r g. Black Voters Matter Fund. dot o r g. Thank you. I just thought it was important to say that, and I will be saying that again uh, on a number of occasions here between now and the end of this year and into next year. We need to have voter turnout. And the Democratic Party, and then the Republican Party, definitely for that matter, as well, you know, they're not, that's not necessarily their focus. Optimally, they want people to turn out to vote. But there have been many instances in the past with the Democrats, for example, where you have these outside organizations, so to speak, Voter Latino and all these other organizations, the work that Chuck Rocha has done. And I had him on this podcast a few years ago. Now, um, all this kind of work that they've done, and the Democrats and President Biden or Joe Biden at that point, um, they weren't really receptive or interested in, in it. You know, they didn't want to, you know, do that. So these organizations work independently of the Democratic Party. You know, they're doing the, they're doing all the heavy lifting. You know, so you know the Democratic strategists, these white strategists, these white money money, people are the ones who have all the money and they're the ones that dictate where the money gets spent. So I would not be donating to the Democratic Party specifically. I would be vote, do, donating to organizations that dis, are designed to get grassroots voter turnout. Literally get out there on the streets and register people to vote. That is where the election gets won or lost. And all this money and throwing it at TV ads where today's younger generation doesn't watch television. Okay. So all of this wasted money. And a lot of this is about the politics of the money and the control of making sure that money gets into the coffers of the uh, folks who are running these campaigns. You know, these white male strategists who have the money and they throw this amount here, this amount there. They keep a little bit themselves, maybe. Who freaking well knows, right? And it's all about determining which candidate should go where and what money is going to be spent where. And can Sherry Beasley, the black female candidate who ran for Senate in North Carolina last year for the U.S. Senate, can she not go to that black neighborhood? We're not going to give you money to go there. We're not going to spend money there on you. In fact, the National party's not going to do that either. You need to go here, here, and here. Ignore the black folk. And that's what happened with Sherry Beasley. She didn't go to these major black metropolises in North Carolina that would have given her a win. And she lost by, I think, 200,000 votes or um, 60,000 votes. I forget. She's lost two elections by really small margins. Now, I forget how many she lost by with the Senate race, but... The fact is, is that she listened to the white consultants that told her, oh, don't go to these black areas in North Carolina, of all places. And so the black candidate then is held hostage by the white money man or or money woman, for that matter. And so this is why this is so important. Why you have to donate to the voting organizations like Black Voters Matter. These are people who do the work on the ground to get people registered to vote and get them to turn out to vote. Anyway, that's what I want to say about that to start off with. I'm going to take a break now, dear listener. I'm going to come back with Diane Abbott. Now, I'll tell you about who Diane Abbott is. For those of you who are not sure, dear listener, that might be you. If you're not clear on who Diane Abbott is, I'm going to, as best I can after the break, tell you who Diane Abbott is, and then talk about the hot water that she finds herself in. And I will also talk about what she said and I will give you my view on what she said and this things surrounding that. And I'll talk about the Labour Party in the United Kingdom and I'll also talk about some of the other things in terms of the reaction to Diane Abbott and all of that. This is going to be something you really want to listen to. So... Stick here, stay tuned, I'll be right back. Dear listener, welcome back. And Diane Abbott, oh my goodness me, she's in a lot of hot water in the United Kingdom. And Diane Abbott, for those of you who may not be familiar with her, is a member of parliament in the United Kingdom for the Labour Party. She is a black woman who has been a trailblazer and a pioneer for many a year, fighting the good fight, has been on on the right side of issues, and has always fought the good fight. An activist at heart. She's someone who um, really was, and is still, uh, one of the more, I think, um, profound figures in British politics. She is also one of the most maligned. She is also one of the most abused. In fact, there have been many a study and many a survey done and documentation of this has been done that shows that Diane Abbott of all 630 some odd MPs in the United Kingdom, members of parliament, she is the most racially abused. She is the one that gets the most misogynistic abuse as well diane abbott entered politics or i think entered the house of commons back in 1987 now that decade was a a groundbreaking one for black politicians in the united kingdom because there was bernie grant among others who were amongst the first black people to be members of parliament in the united kingdom if memory serves me correctly and She was amongst that group of people who came in and ushered in this, if you will, a a black wave, if you will, of politicians who came in and really shook up things to a degree in the House of Commons in Westminster. Bernie Grant was such an influential figure as well. Black man who came through um, in the United States, in the United Kingdom. He was a Labour Party politician. He came in in 1987. As well, and that was like I said, that was around the time Uh, he passed away at a very young age, by the way. Bernie Grant, it's unbelievable. She he was only 56 years of age when he passed away, it's just hard to believe that, isn't it? Good Jesus, Lord. anyway. And so, you know, he came in, and you know, again, uh, this was he was this is the first time I think you had, and I might be wrong about this, but. These were the first leaders, you know, to take up leadership, black people to take up leadership positions in um, these parties, the political parties, the Labour Party particularly. And so this this was a very important moment. And then you had Diane Abbott came in with him as well in 87. And I think there was one other person, and I'm now forgetting his name. But the bottom line is, is that Diane Abbott, has a stellar reputation of being an activist, someone who speaks truth to power, someone who uh, is committed to the fight for justice and equality. She was the first black woman who was elected to parliament, you know, and she's the longest serving um, MP who is black in the House of Commons. Now she's been there, as I said, since 1987. She has been, uh, had many, um, Positions as a Shadow Home Secretary as well under Jeremy Corbyn. She had been the uh, S- Shadow Secretary of State for Health and a number of other things as well. She's been a member of Parliament in her constituency in northeast London of Hackney, uh, Hackney North and Stoke Newington. And Diane Abbott is as stalwart and as, uh, I think, as courageous a politicians you'll get I I think that she's someone I know some people don't like her uh, and I think a lot of that is due to their own built-in racism and their biases against black women I think that's very much what this is misogynoir I think that's part of it am I saying that Diane Abbott is perfect no I'm not I'm not perfect you're not perfect she is not perfect What I'm saying here is that Diane Abbott is somebody who I would say, and I hate to use left and right and all these labels, really. um, She's someone who fights the good fight. If you want to get into labels, she would be on the furthest, on the further, more left on the left side of the Labour Party. That's where Diane Abbott sits, right? Right? And I can't stand labels. I really don't like, ooh, left and right and this. And look, I say it all the time with right-wingers. These people are fascists. That's what they are. That's the label. If there's any label at all for these right-wingers, it's fascist. That's the label. That's that's what they actually are. I wouldn't even call it a label at that point. It's, this is what these people do, right? They behave in a fascist way. They want to get rid of your rights. They're attacking trans people now. And then it's going to be you next. You know, that's the thing. You really think it's going to stop at black folk? You really think that the right-wingers, these fascists all across the world are going to just stop at black people? Ooh, they're going to just stop at black people. I can, I'm safe. No. They're going after everyone. You have to understand something. Before I get back to Diane Abbott, this is about a small-ass group of people with power. This is about a very small group of people who want to survive in a political system, who actually want to survive anywhere. And you've got that small slither of people who want to try to control everything. That's been going on for centuries. And now they see that their power and that they are white male and white female politicians, particularly those on the Republican side, especially and exclusively those on the right wing end of things, the fascists. And they're now acting all draconian. It's not they're acting. They are draconian because they know their time is up and they know the numbers don't favor them. So they're doing all these dastardly evil things to try to hold on to power just that little bit longer before the tide rushes in and just blows them away. Whatever the analogy, that doesn't give me a give you a very good description. But before the tide just does away with them and sweeps them out of here, that, that's what this is. That's what this is. And that's another reason also why you're seeing all this white violence too. You're seeing all this violence against black people, violence against brown people, violence against trans persons. I mean, this is what this is now. This is what this is. I'm not justifying it. Of course, I'm not. What I'm saying is is that this is what is going on. And we have to start waking up. Now, having said that, back to Diane Abbott. Diane Abbott has been in politics for a long time now. And I don't think there's anyone, maybe there's maybe one other person or two other people who've been there past before 1987. There have been a few, there are a few in the House of Commons. But Abbott's voice is a voice that her constituents have approved of for a long time. Now, look, I'm saying all of this because she has, as I said, been attacked, vilified a lot of times. Once she had been caught on the tube station, on a tube train, drinking something, some beer or something, some alcoholic beverage that wasn't properly concealed. And there was a photo of it that I think went around on social media somewhere. And she apologized to that. For that, and she got a lot of a racist abuse and misogynoirist abuse and misogynistic abuse. The news media in the United Kingdom doesn't like her. I don't think. Okay, now look, I'm putting background out here and context, right? And I'm going to put some a lot of this in here in this episode because I'm a context person. Now, Diane Abbott. Got in hot water recently, just this month. Because there was an article in the Guardian newspaper. And the Guardian newspaper in England, and it's across the world. at I think it's guardian.co.uk or theguardian.co.uk or whatever the web address is for The Guardian. Published a story recently. And the story was... One written by someone who was talking about how racism isn't black and white. The person's name is Tomiwa Oelade. T-O-M is in Mike. I-W-A. Tomiwa. Last name Oelade. O-W-O-L-A-D-E. Now actually this is in The Observer, which is the Sunday edition of The Guardian in the United Kingdom. This was written on Saturday, April the 15th, 2023. The title, the headline writer wrote this title, Racism in Britain is not a black and white issue. It's far more complicated. Now that's the headline. And the article talks about, because no one talks about this article. Everyone just talks about the response to it. Everyone that I have heard, at least, and that's about everyone being four people, (laughs) that, that have heard, that have talked about this, in positions of influence on the radio or on TVs in the United Kingdom, doesn't reference this article, never talks about the article and discusses the article. They just talk about Diane Abbott's response to it. I want to offer context. Now, the article, I'm not going to read the whole thing out. Tomia Owolade is a contributing writer at the New Statesman, which is a, I guess, a left of center um, political um, news magazine if you will full disclosure I get some of the uh, uh, emails from the news statesman I've signed up to get their email list so I, I get some of that and I read some of their stories now what Tomawa Tomiwa Olawade and I don't know if that's a male or a female person um, she or he talks about racism and this notion that white people don't face racism or face racist or have faced racial abuse. And what the writer did was talk about a study that came out, a survey report released in the last few weeks, called Racism and Ethnic Inequality in a Time of Crisis. And it is reportedly, according to the author of this article in The Observer, the most comprehensive account of racial equality racial inequality in Britain for more than 25 years and that this research racism and ethnic inequality in a time of crisis was carried out by academics in the universities of St. Andrews Manchester and King's College in London and by the way this is uh, something that's made readily readily available online in fact um, I, I just tweet a link out for this and you can. And it was published on the 12th of April of this year. And it's you know hundreds of pages, I think, um, something like that. It's, it's a lot of pages that you can read. And it goes into all of this detail about experiences of racial discrimination, ethnic minorities. Uh, there's charts that show um, black people um, being targeted and the percentages and then that's broken down into Black Caribbean and Black African. And and then there's white uh, ethnic groups, Irish, Jewish, all very, very clear and specific delineations about the abuse that they've suffered, the violent attacks, um, attacks based on their racial ethnicity. You know, I mean, the, their ethnicity, their race. I mean, first of all, here's another thing that doesn't even get talked about in, in the article by Um, Tomia Oluwade or by Diane Abbott and I haven't got to Diane Abbott's response yet the idea of race is a social construct okay you know that doesn't even get talked about at all in this whole discussion no one has said that it would be helpful to just stipulate that for the record as well okay now here's the story in this article that Tomiwa Oluwade writes in The Observer from April the 15th of this year. One of the things that is cited here by the writer is the two groups most likely to say they have experienced racist abuse are traveler communities and Jewish people. Right? Now, again, and I'm not reading the whole article out here, There's no issue with that. I don't have any because, yeah, there are white ethnic groups who are subject to racist abuse. Anti-Semitism, by the way, and people have a lot of problems with that term. There are people out there Well, you can't be anti-Semitic because Semitic means half of. I want to just look specifically at the realities of anti-Semitism. It's basically the world's most. um, The longest running. um, I don't even want to use the word prejudice. Because that's so weak. It's the longest running form of racism there's been. It's anti-Semitism. We have to really look at this. And look at it concretely. It's been going on forever. Ever. And by the way. I want to also add something else to this. Actually, I'll add the something else in a few minutes. Right? I want to add that. I'll, I'll add that. I want to hold on to that in a moment. And, and, I'll, and I'll get back to it. If you are Irish and you are white. You can be subject to racist abuse. People forget about the signs that would go up in varying communities across the United States and the United Kingdom. No Irish, no blacks, no dogs allowed. That was an actual thing. That actually was something that was posted on signs in the United Kingdom, in the United States. You do know that that actually happened. You do know that that there was discrimination against Irish people. There really was. That's not made up, right? You do know that there was also a potato famine that Irish people tried to escape from. You do know that, right? And people starved to death. Uh, You do know this. You do know that there's been this enduring war between Catholics and Protestants and many of those Catholics are Irish people and you do know that Irish people caught hell. I mean, let's be students of history for a second, okay? (laughs) Let's be students of history. (laughs) Yes, Irish people have caught hell. Yes, Jewish people, oh my goodness, don't get me started. Uh, the, the Holocaust against Jewish people? Uh, hello? Hello? 12 million people were killed by Hitler and the Nazis in Germany. 12 million. 6 million people out of those 12 million were Jewish. Okay? Please. Let's not minimize... Anybody dare minimize what happened to Jewish people in Nazi Germany and across Europe with the Holocaust. You you can't sit here and pretend. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm just laying the groundwork here for this. 12 million people, 6 million of them Jewish, some of them black, some of them gay, some of them Catholic. Right? So all of these groups caught hell and Jewish people really caught hell. I'm not minimizing anyone else. Six million people killed out of those 12 million were Jewish people. Hitler had a, I mean, years long campaign of demonizing Jewish people. Relentlessly, he turned an entire country into hating and killing Jewish people, a country that would also attack gay people, black people, brown people, Catholic people. You have to really understand the history. Any racial abuse, this is the article here, I'm only reading parts of this, against any individual is morally abhorrent and civil society has a moral duty to oppose prejudice. We should get to the number of people who experience racism as close to zero as we possibly can. Then there's mention of the Casey report that continued to affirm the existence of institutional racism in the Metropolitan Police, da-da-da-da-da-da. More than sixty percent of Gypsy and traveller people reported that they had experienced some form of racist assault. More than fifty-five percent of Jewish people report the same. That's in this report, "Racism and Ethnic Inequality in a Time of Crisis." That uh, the writer um, Tomiwa Ol- Omowale, oh my gosh, Owalade, o- o- I can't even now. I, I'm going to just say T.O. the the writer T.O. Expresses here. Black Caribbean people, for instance, are more likely to than black African people to say they have experienced racism. Nearly 50% for black Caribbean people and more than 30% for black African people. Now, listen, this is not a surprise to me, okay? Because Sydney Poitier talked about this as someone who was coming from a Caribbean nation. Right? In a way, the Bahamas, well, you know, it, you know, it's, he was coming from not the United States, but he was coming from the Bahamas. He was born in Miami, spent time living in, on Cat Island in the Bahamas. And when he came to the U.S., he, as an older man, he was didn't understand what all this, what was this, really? what's racism, what is that? Because on Cat Island, there wasn't any of this kind of stuff going on and on the african continent at early stages in, in these countries there wasn't a lot of black folk on the african continent were living in countries that were predominantly black they had an no idea about white people uh, you know being racist or oppressing them or anything like that they hadn't experienced racism there may have been issues within tribal cultures but they didn't experience any these this kind of stuff until they got to england until they got to other countries in Europe, until they got, you know, Germany, until they got to the U.S., US, I mean, that's not a shocking surprise, that's not a shock. Then there's a graph in this article, more than a third of the people from ethnic and religious minorities have experienced some form of racist assault. Percentage experiencing racist insults, property damage, or physical attacks prior to the pandemic. Gypsy traveler communities. Now, again, I don't like that term, gypsy. Traveler communities, right? I mean, these are people, I guess, who could be refugees, travelers. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to describe that. And I can give you a definition of what a traveler is, right? Because I think it's good to define these things before we... uh, you know, jump into these conversations. I think definitions are important. I think they are, right? So that we understand what it is we're talking about. I'm a big fan of that. And really, it's, it's, and again, it's, and I was going to say it, it's like nomads. Travelers are like nomads. That's really what they are. And typically so-called ethnic minorities, right? These nomadic people who are from some kind of ethnic group whichever they might be they might be refugees as i you know they might be p- people that you know Nigel Farage uses in the poster called breaking point and then then tries to scare white people who are fragile and scared of anything that doesn't look anyone that doesn't look like them breaking point oh my god these olive skinned people are coming in to take over your job and you fall for it those of you perhaps who are white some of you fall for it right you, Oh, my God. Because <gasps> you always need to have something to be afraid of. Rather than have something to love, you, have so, you need to have something to fear. And that's how these people take advantage of you. Let me put that out there as well. Anyhow, traveler, right? That's what they are. They're, they're, travelers are people who are kind of, I don't know what the word is, itinerant, kind of wandering. I don't like the word gypsy. I really don't. People who are, you know, they, are, they really are itinerant people. People who travel. People who wander. People who don't have a fixed home. And so, really, travelers are, are, are itinerant people. They wander. They, they don't have a fixed home. So, it is someone from that particular group who, according to this report and this survey that was done from the evidence for the Quality National Survey, that shows that travellers, more than sixty percent of them, have experienced racist insults, property damage, or physical attacks prior to the pandemic. By the way, they've been at. And you can, in some ways, homeless people are a form of traveller. And people won't tell you this here in the U.S., but the attacks on people who are unhoused or homeless went up during the pandemic, went up during the pandemic, and it was already high before it, which really belies this idea, oh, homeless people are more likely to commit crime. No, they're not. Homeless people or unhoused people in the United States, for example, commit less than 5% of the violent crime that there is. And yet there's this hysteria. oom, And I don't like that word either. There's all this rigmarole and brouhaha about homeless people or unhoused people committing all this violent crime. And it's a lie. They commit less than 5% of the violent crime in the country. I mean, it's just such a, it's just nonsense that people get seduced by all this fear. Because fear is powerful. Now. Context, right, is important. It should be important to you. It's definitely important to me. Travelers, by the way, can be black. They can be white. They can be brown. They can be Asian. They can be anyone who fits the description. They can be political refugees. They can be anyone, okay? I think it's important to define what we are talking about. Just like the commentator and anchor of a program a few weeks back, a few months back, who asked this white female conservative, well, what do you mean by woke? She had a whole chapter devoted to woke in her book. And then when the black woman asks her, well, what do you mean by woke? What's the definition of it? What do you mean? And she couldn't give one. She stuttered and stammered and tripped and backslid and moonwalked and tripped on the banana peel and spun around and broke and she break danced. She could not give the definition, which is why it's not a good idea to write a book with a chapter in it about being woke. And then you can't freaking well define the term. You've devoted an entire chapter In your book too. Because you come off looking stupid. And so does the publisher that published your book, by the way. It's important to define what you are talking about. So that people understand what you are saying to them. Hopefully so far I've (laughs) managed to do that here. (gasps) On this episode. (laughs) Because listen. I include myself in all of this. I'm never going to tell you something. That I don't already do. right? I'm not going to tell you. Give you advice or say something. That I'm not doing. (laughs) Because because otherwise that makes me a real hypocrite. And there's too many hypocrites on this planet. By the way. So 60% of the people who have been really dealing with a lot of this racist abuse and insults and damage and attacks. They're travelers. Then there's people who are other black. That, this, this is what this uh, chart says. Jewish, under, just under 60%. Mixed white, black, African, just under 50%. Same thing for mixed white, black, Caribbean. Roma, Italy, just under 50%. Black, Caribbean, this is in the United Kingdom now. Black, black Caribbean, just under 50%. White Irish now there none 8th down on the list. White Irish just over forty percent. Then Bangladeshi just about forty percent. Then Pakistani just under forty percent. Just over forty percent white Irish, let me correct that. Just under just about forty Bangladeshi, Pakistani, under forty overall. And some of these categories are not very clear. Under forty forty uh, percent overall. I don't know what that means. Black African under forty percent. Indian under forty percent. Other mixed multiple under. I see these things need to be delineated and explained. Indian, as I said, under forty percent. Chinese just over thirty percent. Mixed white Asian thirty percent. Other Asian under thirty percent. Other ethnic group under thirty. Arab under thirty. White Eastern European under thirty. Other white. 20%. So look, look, these things are just, we need to and I need to contact someone, at the, I would contact someone at the Evidence for Equality National Survey because the graphic that the observer puts here and these categories, some of them are just not delineated specifically enough. Now look, here's the thing. That is a survey and they spoke to many people. 40% of white Irish people reported experiencing some form of racist assault in their lives. Right now, this is one survey, and I think it's instructive, it's not dispositive, but it is important because you can be white, and this should not be a re- revelation to you, dear listener. You can't be white and suffer some kind of abuse based on your background, your race, your heritage. As I said, Irish people caught hell, and there's still lots of attacks against Irish people. There's all kinds of sectarian violence. Now, that's violence based on race, if you look at it. Now, you might say, well, it's based on religion. Yeah, but also, again, it's also based on, again, race is a tricky subject because, again, it's a social construct. It's a social construct. So, a messy explanation perhaps from yours truly, but again, it is one way to try to get myself into the contextual for your sake and mine, dear listener. And so, this article in The Observer, from April the 15th of this year, Racism in Britain is Not a Black and White Issue, It's Far More Complicated, by Tomiwa Owolade, is a good article to read. Right, And there's lots of others that you can read it, but that's a good starting point. It is complex, but it's also not complex either, right? It is very clear that there are a number of different types of abuse based on race that happen, right? Here's the thing. Having read parts of that article, not the whole thing, but parts of it, here is something that, was responded to, this article was responded, res- uh, this article was responded to by Diane Abbott. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you her response to what I read parts of from Tomiwa Oluwade. That's next.
1: It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us, and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising.
0: Dear listener, I have to say that, look, I know maybe the way I uh, laid out some of this is not as straightforward as I would like it to be, but the bottom line is that you take away from what I said over the last half hour is Tomiwa Olawade's. Article. The thrust of that article, without reading the whole thing, and I did read parts of it, is that there are lots of different groups of people in the United Kingdom, in Britain, who suffer all different forms of racist abuse based on their heritage, based on their ethnicity. There are white ethnics in this country, in the world, who do suffer abuse based on their ethnicity. Whether it's Jewish people, whether it's white Irish, whether it is white Italian. What do you think happened to the Italians when they were coming over and they were called what? I'm not going to use the word because of a W, right? And that was a demeaning and is a demeaning thing about to be said a demeaning thing that is said about Italians here's the thing I'm going to get to now and I'm going to get to this because I want to explain remember in the last half hour I said there's something I really wanted to get to when I was talking about the persecution of Jewish people and the attacks on Jewish people the extermination of six million Jewish people in Nazi Germany and across Europe in camps in Auschwitz, in, in, in these in Birkenau, in all these camps, right? And there are also 6 million other people, whether they were black people, whether they were brown people, whether they were gay people, whether they were Catholics, who also were killed. And so we have to look at the history. You can't be making, look, here's what I'm going to get to. I'm going to get now to the response by Diane Abbott. Diane Abbott, the Diane Abbott, who has been in the House of Commons in Westminster in London since 1987 as a member of Parliament, a member of the Labour Party, wrote this in response to Tomiwa Owlade's article. Now the headline here from The Guardian is Racism is Black and White. That's the headline for this letter from Diane Abbott. And I'm going to read the letter now. Tomiwa Owolade claims that Irish, Jewish, and traveler people all suffer from, quote, racism, end quote. Racism in Britain is not a black and white issue. It's far more complicated comment. That's the reference back to the article from Tomiwa they undoubtedly, this is Diane Abbott talking now, referring to the Irish, Jewish, and traveler people. They undoubtedly experience prejudice. This is similar to racism, and the two words are often used as if they are interchangeable. Now, what Diane Abbott's saying there is that the words racism and prejudice are used interchangeably often. It is true, says Diane Abbott here, that many types of white people with points of difference such as redheads can experience this prejudice but they are not all their lives subject to racism. In pre-civil rights America, Irish people, Jewish people and travellers were not required to sit at the back of the bus. In apartheid South Africa, or I should say, in apartheid South Africa, these groups were allowed to vote, and at the height of slavery, there were no white-seeming people manacled on the slave ships. Diane Abbott, House of Commons, London SW1. I'm going to read this one more time. Tomiwa Olawade claims that Irish, Jewish, and traveler people all suffer from racism, in quotes. They undoubtedly experience prejudice. This is similar to racism, and the two words are often used as if they are interchangeable. It is true that many types of white people with points of difference, such as redheads, can experience this prejudice, but they are not all their lives subject to racism. In pre-civil rights America, Irish people, Jewish people and travellers were not required to sit at the back of the bus. In apartheid South Africa, these groups were allowed to vote and at the height of slavery, there were no white seeming people manacled on the slave ships. Diane Abbott, House of Commons London SW1 Here's what I have to say to what Diane Abbott said. Diane Abbott in that letter expresses a shocking amount of ignorance. One thing that Diane Abbott, for example, does not say is that Jewish people were subject to one of the most grotesquely inhumane experiences that a human being can go through. Jewish people were eradicated from the planet, basically, in the Holocaust. Do you know what the percentage of the population of Jewish, since since the United States was mentioned, do you know what the percentage of the population of Jewish people is in the United States? Do you know? Two percent. Two percent. Jewish people in the United States make up 2% of the entire population of the United States of America. 2%. Outside of that, many Jewish people are, and can be found in Israel, and can be found in various European countries. But in this, and all over the world for that matter, but in this country here, 2%. That's one thing you should keep in your mind as well. Number two, I said this earlier, the potato famine. There were many Irish people who were killed during that famine. The wars between the Protestants and the Catholics. The troubles. You have to have a historical framework. And it's absolutely foolish at best for Diane Abbott to write something that's so irresponsible and so ignorant. It's ignorant. This isn't about prejudice. This is about an attack on these people's ethnicities. Prejudice is when you prejudge something and you prefer one thing to another. There's prejudice and there's preference and there's racism and there's two freaking complete different things between all those things. One is a system, racism, and the other two are things that human beings do that happen as a natural course. Racism is a freaking unnatural thing. It's systemic. It's about power and control over groups of people based on what they look like or who they are, right? So if an Irish person gets abused, they're being abused based on who they are. Especially when you're talking in the context of England and Ireland. Oh my God. The author Tomia Owalade, Was talking about. In the United Kingdom in Britain. Where racism in Britain is not a black and white issue. It's far more complicated. And Diane Abbott is applying. Everything. That happened to Irish and Jewish and traveler people to the things that happened in the systems of racism against black people. And it's the comparison that's the problem. That's where I see a lot of fault with what Diane Abbott wrote. It was ignorant. It was foolish. It was not smart. It wasn't. And Diane Abbott has apologized. I'll read her apology out in a moment. It just was not, it was ill-informed and... Every now and again, you can be surprised by people who have a profound amount of ignorance. And they can be in positions of power. We've seen this with Republicans. We've seen this with some Democrats. We've seen this, Lord knows, in the United Kingdom, we've seen it with conservative politicians. Some of them are the most dumbest people. And they're in positions of power. Power does not require you to be a smart person. That's for sure. You know, there aren't too many Machiavellis in power. There are some... One of them is Michael Gove. That is someone who is a Machiavellian figure. He studied uh, the prince. He studied the prince. He definitely studied that book. And I don't care for Michael Gove. But one thing I do respect about him is that he knows how to play that ruthless game of politics. And he is someone you'd want on your side to be the most ruthless ass politician that you could have. You'd want him on your side. But when he's on the opposite side to you or the side that threatens your interests, you don't want him anywhere near you. You can't stand him. That's Michael Gove. He's been in politics for a long time. He knows how to do that. You have some smart, shrewd, dangerous people in politics and you have some stupid ones. Now, Diane Abbott is smart. She just stepped in it. I shouldn't say just. She stepped in it with this comment. There's no question about that. I think Diane Abbott could have done this a lot better. I think if she had said that. They do not in this modern day Britain face systemic racism. And they do not in this modern day Britain. Face the kinds of discrimination that they once faced, say with. The famine and and all these. If she had said that and gave it more historic and historical context, other than just saying what she did say, I think she'd be in better shape here. And she probably would not have been suspended from the party. She wouldn't have had the whip the whip removed. When you have the whip removed from you, it means that you're suspended from the party. And what that means is that the parliamentary party operation that you are involved in, you are no longer a part of. So you technically cannot sit with the party you are a member of in the House of Commons. You can't sit on those benches. You have to sit somewhere else, away from where the Labour Party traditionally sits. Jeremy Corbyn, who has not had the whip removed, he's basically been expelled from the Labour Party. He sits now way, way away from the Labour Party that, he's a, that he used to be a real genuine part of. And Diane Abbott will probably end up doing the same. Now, there's some other politics involved. There is next week going to be local elections across the United Kingdom. But look, the bottom line is, is that my point is this. Diane Abbott should not have written what she wrote. Okay, It was something that I think if she really uh, did this again over, I would hope she would change her mind on it. But apparently she had written two different drafts, the same draft twice And sent it out two different times, three days in advance of its publication. So, you know, again, um, we can talk about how I don't think that was smart either. Because I think she should have done better there. Um, But again, when you try to compare one person's atrocities to another, you get in trouble. And that's what Diane Abbott was trying to do here. Right? Right? You're trying to bring a framework of other groups of people into the framework of the hardships that your people suffered. That's a dangerous and tricky thing to do because what you might run in the risk of doing is belittling or trivializing the kinds of experiences that the people you tend or trying to bring into uh, your conversation in your letter, you might be risking trivializing their histories and you might be erasing them. In fact, Diana Abbott was doing that here. She doesn't mention anything about the Holocaust against Jewish people. She didn't say anything about the Troubles. She didn't say anything about the Potato Famine. She didn't say anything like that. Obviously, Irish people and Jewish people weren't required to sit in the backs of buses in the United States. Because again, here in the United States, you're dealing with an a-, a system of anti-black racism. So to even put white people or white Irish or white Jewish people into that is absurd, right? Because, yeah, the system here is an anti-black racist system. So why would you be saying this about Irish and Jewish people and travelers in the first place? It's true that they weren't required to sit in the back of the bus, but what is also true because many things can be true at once. That's the hallmark of this episode. Many things can be true at once. What is also true is that Jewish people were persecuted and were exterminated. Six million people. And that doesn't even get mentioned. I mean, whew. the troubles, the famine, no, of no, doesn't get mentioned. And that's where the ignorance is too. Right, When you try to compare these groups and shift them into your paradigm, that's a tricky thing. Now, if Diane Abbott had instead said, black people continue to face daily, minute by minute, racist abuse and hardships and discrimination every moment of every day, every waking day, and these things are something that we cannot escape from as a system continues to punish us daily. While the other groups that were spoken about face all kinds of hardships, but they don't face the continuing minute-by-minute daily racist abuse and racist discrimination that we do. If she wanted to go there even, I would would go with that. And she'd be correct, obviously. If Diane Abbott wanted to say that black people in the United Kingdom and the United States face police brutality every day, we've lost so many people, and that's not something that Jewish people and Irish people typically have to worry about, and travelers don't typically have to worry about those kinds of issues. Black women suffer maternal death four times more than any group of white women does, right? If Diane Abbott said those kinds of things in that letter, boom, boom. She's got a lot more strength to stand on there. If Diane Abbott says, yes, we have to acknowledge the the, the truth that lots of different groups are subject to violence and often it is due to their race or ethnicity. And some of these groups are white. Some of these groups are travelers. And certainly we need to have an, have the, have this addressed and confronted. And we must also make sure that the continuing racist attacks on black people and the systemic racism against black people must be ended. We must all make sure that happens. Now, if she wrote that, no problem. If she had wrote that racism is something that. an evil. That anti-black racism. Is very devastating. It's pervasive. It, it reaches into every core. And tentacle of our lives. And she also said that. White Jewish people and white Irish people. Face hardships. And face the horrors of anti-semitism. Which we must root out. When it comes to Jewish people. And all of these things. And. They face these kinds of challenges and we must end those. And we must make sure that this no longer happens. That's another story. But this trying to minimize other people's pain is a real problem. And this kind of comparing stuff is a real problem. There's no question that black people, we as black folk have suffered so much abuse and horror and the racist system against us is enduring and it continues. And we suffer the most in that regard from the pervasive racism. There's a question about that. No question about that. Every day of our lives. And if Diane Abbott had written that, yeah, no problem with that. But you can't write stuff like this and try to, Say that this is just prejudice that goes on with what happens with white Jewish people, Jewish people. You just, you can't, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to get yourself in trouble. So that's my take on it. Diane Abbott was wrong. I I think that um, she won't make that mistake again. I'm pretty confident of that. And I'm going to read you her apology. I am writing regarding my letter that was recently published in The Observer. I wish to wholly and unreservedly withdraw my remarks and disassociate myself from them. The errors arose in an initial draft being sent, but there is no excuse and I wish to apologize for any anguish caused. Racism takes many forms and it is completely undeniable that Jewish people have suffered its monstrous effects, as have Irish people, travelers and many others. Once again, I would like to apologize publicly for the remarks and any distress caused as a result of them. Now, I think that apology, for me, I've got no problem with that apology. I I think it's a genuine apology. I know some people don't. I I mean, I think the reason why some of them don't is because they look at what I said earlier about the two drafts being sent of the exact same thing three days in advance, meaning that she had enough time to to reflect on this. But the bottom line is, is that I think the apology as I just read out is sincere. And I think she re- reflect it reflects an understanding, she understands that Jewish people have suffered. I don't think there's anyone on this planet, well, actually there are people on this planet who pretend that the Holocaust never happened. Right? And I've done episodes on this podcast making it very clear to remind people that not only did the Holocaust happen, In addition to that, there are still attacks on Jewish people to this day. That has not stopped. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, man. It's on the freaking rise in this country, in the United States, in the United Kingdom, all over the place. All over the place, across Europe, for God's sakes. All over the place. You got black folk trafficking in this garbage, too. And I criticized Whoopi Goldberg last year vociferously about this. I'm not here just sitting down and, and talking about what I talk about all of this. And where our people have done things, I'm gonna speak about it. And where white folk and other people have done that, I'm gonna talk about it. I think that Diane Abbott, I think, gave a sincere apology. What I'm gonna do now, and this is a learning lesson for her now, she got suspended by the Labour Party, Sakhir Starmer, who is the leader of the Labour Party in the United Kingdom, withdrew the whip from her. So, that is something that I think should have happened. I, I actually support that. I think it is justified. You're not going to hear me say it wasn't. It is Rupa Huck, who also had the whip withdrawn from her last year, when she said this garbage about uh, the emperor of economic chaos, Kwasi Kwarteng, now, of course, is no longer in the... Uh, in, in in the cabinet, um, he is still in in politics and he's still in a member of parliament, but he's not in the cabinet, and certainly not in Rishi Sunak's cabinet. Um, when she got suspended for saying that, raised that garbage about him. Oh well, he's a black man. You wouldn't know he was a black man. He speaks like you know really stupid, ignorant things. The Labour Party, by the way, and we know the Conservative Party is racist as hell, and also has a lot of anti-Semitism in it. The Labour Party has a big problem here. With, and they're trying to fight back against this problem of anti-Semitism in their ranks and there's a lot of anti-black racism in the Labour Party, let me put that out there too, there's a lot of it, a lot of it, the Labour Party has some freaking problems, okay they do the Conservatives, Lord knows the Tories do and the Labour Party does as well the Labour Party does not send to black people, I'm not saying that it's got to parade us every day, hey black but the Labour Party does not make any affirmative move toward black folk. It just doesn't. Not anymore. If it ever did, I don't even know. Even under Jeremy Corbyn, I, I didn't think it was that robust either, quite frankly. And, uh, the bottom line, but at least you saw some more black visibility in that party then. You know? But now, uh, Sir so Keir Starmer has completely whitewashed that party anyway. And uh, look, I, I, listen, I think Labour's going to win. I would like them to. But they have to be better. They have to go way better when it comes to black folk and representing and talking about issues that affect us. There's no doubt about that. okay? but I do support the removal of the whip from uh, Diane Abbott. And I should say the Rupert Hawk who said this ridiculous foolishness about uh, Quasi Quarteng. Oh, he didn't speak like a black man. How is a black man supposed to speak then? How does black man speak? So stupid, the ignorance of that. She was, by the way, re- she was actually had the rip returned to her. So now last month in March, she had the whip. So she was suspended for almost six months from the party for saying what she said about Quasi Quateng. Six months, almost six months. She now has the whip re- returned to her. She's now able to be back on the benches uh, with the Labour Party. And and I've seen her. So the bottom line is, is that she's now had the rip The whip restored to her. I want to know, Sakir, when Diane Abbott is gonna have the whip returned. Because is she gonna have it returned before the election next year? Oh, she should definitely before next year's election. Is she gonna have is it gonna be six months? Because I think that this should be six months as well. I think it should be a six-month suspension. If you're gonna remove the whip from her, she apologized. If you're going to remove the whip, and I support that, they, that, that the whip was removed for these comments that she made, it's got to be six months as well. It's got to be six months. Some people might tell me it's got to be a year. Uh, if you want to say a year, you want to say a year, say a year. I support a six-month suspension. Rupert Huck had six months. I think that Diane Abbott should get six. If you want to say 12 months, 12 months. I'm going to talk about next... After the break, the reaction from people who call themselves white liberals or who like to think that they are identifying that way. I'm going to talk about that right after this. Welcome back. I want to just say one other thing here. Postscript. Because there was a report back in 1997 by the Commission for Racial Equality in the United Kingdom that talked about the invisibility of the Irish in Britain. And here's something that I need to read to you. Unlike the other large-scale Labour migrations to Britain, principally from the Indian subcontinent and the Caribbean. Irish migration, if considered at all, is treated as if it was some sort of natural occurrence. There is little acknowledgement that Irish people might have experiences or be subject to practices which are based on ethnic differentiation or racist discrimination. The Irish are excluded from consideration in these terms because they are white, and the dominant paradigm for understanding racism in Britain is constructed on the basis of a black-white dichotomy. Dear listener, this is why I keep saying race is a social construct, and that's problematic. This exclusion of the Irish whenever issues of differential ethnic access to scarce resources is discussed is a dominant theme in the reports of every Irish welfare and advice agency in the country. Every agency records either in its annual reports or in special research reports the monumental task it faces in trying to persuade funding authorities of specific Irish needs in service provision and of the necessity of earmarking resources accordingly. As a result of these difficulties, over 20 Irish organizations systemically lobbied the Commission for Racial Equality from the late 1980s onwards about Irish issues. The case these groups made to the CRE is that the Irish should be included in ethnic monitoring. There should be an Irish category in the ethnic question in the census. And that there was a need for research about the ways in which the processes and practices of racism and discrimination impact on Irish people in Britain. This is, this is from the Commission for Racial Equality. And I almost forgot to say this before. 287 page report from 1987. It's available online. Just like this other report I talked about earlier called Racism and Ethnic Inequality in a Time of Crisis. And that is the problem again. And the bottom line is is that when you focus race exclusively as a black-white issue, and first of all, this construct of race is an artificial one, artificial. It was brought forth by white men and they used that to leverage power as an instrumentality of power. You're black, you're white. And this is what this was. And then as white men... They said, well, we are the superior group. And they used that as a basis to dominate and control. So that they would stay in power. That's what this is about. Power. And so all these freaking categories were invented. Remember earlier I talked about how I don't like labels and categories. We all use them in life. Guilty as charged. But the thing is, is that these are the ways people have power and gain power. They utilize power. They use these terms so as a means to control. That's what this is. And so when you set things up as black or white, you exclude a whole lot of other people. I've heard i I've heard Asian people say this. What about us? We get discriminated against. I've heard some Jewish people say this too. I've heard some other people say this. What about us? And it's much more expansive than only black and only white. And the reason why it's been narrowed to black and white specifically is very deliberate. Because if you don't emphasize or talk about how Irish people have dis- been discriminated against or how Jewish people have been or all these other people, you know what happens? When you, start to, when you start to emphasize that and talk about it more, then more people are awakened to the fact that, damn, we're all being discriminated against here. Who's doing the discriminating against us? Oh, it's that lot with all the money up there who have all the power. That group of white men who do. And they're screwing over all of us to keep their thiefdom and their money. And so you don't, therefore you now awaken a whole group of people and maybe they might just band together to get rid of your power hungry ass. They might just band together to get rid of you and toss you off of this power trip that you're on. They might just want to do that. So let's narrow it to black and white only. And by using those two terms, we can just eliminate talking about a whole other group of other people. We can just use this broad blanket umbrella. That's what this is about. And again, as I said, I think Diane Abbott will and has certainly learned her from her mistake here. So, again, um, I believe that people can learn from their mistakes. Some people can't. Some people won't or don't and don't care to. But I do think that Diane Abbott, with the apology that she gave, will certainly learn. And I do recommend that she be suspended six months. That's that's me. Uh, I will always tell you what I'm thinking about these things. Um she apologized, but she still got to serve a six. I think it's got to be six months. And I don't think it should be any different from what Rupert Huck said or did. Rupert Huck has got the whip restored. I think in six months, I would, I would expect and hope that Diane Abbott gets her the whip restored to her too. That's what I'm expecting. And Sakia Stommer should be doing that. Now, that's where I stand on Diane Abbott. Welcome back. The thing I forgot to say again earlier was one thing that Diane Abbott didn't take into account was there were Jewish people who are black. There are Jewish people who are black. There are Jewish people who are white. There are Jewish people who are are all kinds of backgrounds. So when she makes a statement like, well, Jewish people weren't this or that, she considering that there are black people who are Jewish. uh, 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 Again, that's another thing to add to the mix here. And my point for going back to that and mentioning it is that we all have to be clear about which it is we speak of. Definitions are important. Context is important. And... Being able to explain what you mean is important and what you are saying. The importance of explaining that is priceless. There are many
2: whites who are trying to solve the problem, but you never see them going under the label of liberals. That, that white person that you see calling himself a liberal is the most dangerous thing in the entire Western Hemisphere. He's the most deceitful. He's like a fox. And a fox is almost is always more dangerous in the forest than the wolf. You can see the wolf coming. You know what he's up to. But the fox will fool you. He comes at you with his mouth shaped in such a way that even though you see his teeth, you think he's
0: smiling and taking for a friend. Yes, indeed, Malcolm. You said it correctly. You know, Malcolm X there in the 1960s. And again, the peril of the white liberal. And I... I <laughs> I'd say I start this way, dear listener, because, again, I keep telling you, I don't like labels, you see. Don't like labels. Don't like them. Because, again, calling yourself a liberal, I've talked about this so often, I really reject that term, liberal. What does it mean? I mean, we know what the dictionary definition of it is, dear listener, but what does it really mean? Why would you call yourself that if you're behaving differently from that? And so Malcolm X is saying... The white liberal's the worst. And I, and listen, you might call yourself one, dear listener, but I I happen to agree with Malcolm. I've, I'm not agreeing with him just because he said it. I'm agreeing with him because of my actual lived experience, dear listener. <laughs> I'm not just agreeing with Malcolm X because he says those words so truthfully. I'm agreeing with him because that's my experience personally. <laughs> I have dealt with some white people who claim to be liberal, and that they are the most racist-ass people you can find on the planet. They would give people like frickin' David Duke a run for their money. Seriously, they would give people like that piece of garbage who's been twice impeached and indicted a run for his money. They would give MTG a run for her money. And I've even talked about them on this podcast, dear listeners, recently as the last few weeks. You criticize the first lady, Jill Biden. She's white, for the record, in case you didn't know. On the stuff that she said recently around the uh, women's team in basketball there, the college basketball, well, let's invite Iowa, too. They came second, but let's invite them. You criticize on that, and you find out real quick where white people stand with you, these so-called white liberals I'm talking about. You'll find out real quick on social media where you stand with them, right? All the while they're smiling and like Malcolm said, very nice and loosey-goosey and all of that. But then when you criticize, rightfully, a first lady who's wanting to invite the mostly white team of Iowa who finished second, Along to the White House, along with the black female, mostly black female basketball team of the LSU Tigers. To the White House, who won the darn championship. Uh, but, you know, let's invite the white group as well. You know, when you criticize that and point that out. Oh, there's some white people. Oh, oh, don't criticize the first lady. She can say what she wants. She can invite who she wants. These trolls. Give me a break. And then you find out, and then you find out real quick, someone saying to you things like, Die mad, bro. Some silly juvenile jackass racist. Asshole. Pardon my French. Pardon pardonnez-moi français. Some jackass, some racist, jackass white person who claims they're liberal, but says that bullcrap to you as a black person. Tries to trample your experience, trample your view on something that hits home to you because it's about marginalizing black people. As I talked about with that comment from the first lady, that's about marginalizing black people, trampling on black joy, not giving the black winner the due. I talked about this with the valedictorians and all that racist anti-black racist bullcrap Oh, the black person was valedictorian. Oh, let's have a white co-valedictorian. Even though that white person finished fifth in their class with the fifth best GPA. Let's make them co-valedictorian. Always changing the friggin' rules when black people master the rules and break through every barrier. Oh, let's change the rules on them now. Shut up. So you get the idea. That was the tenor, right, of my... Of my response of my <laughs> episode a few days ago, the episode of the my episode, yeah, the the episode of the Political Lady Podcast a few days ago, a few weeks ago, right? That's what that's what happened. That's what happened. So. You find out where you stand with these white liberals. And in my personal life, I'm telling you, my experience personally, I have worked with some of these folks and they are disgusting. They're disgusting. I'm not even going to go into the stories. I'm not going to do it. And Malcolm's right. And I've had other white people agreeing with Malcolm. I would rather have someone show me where they're coming from then someone that's all smiling in your face, and they say they like you and they respect you, and yeah, you're saying the right things, and I agree with you. And then these people, when you deal with them in other realms, whether it's finance, whether it's something like that, or you're criticizing a white democratic politician, oh, now you find out where you stand. And it's it's a it's based on this dishonesty and this racism that just comes right out from them when you take something that they do or say to task and they get all defensive and then they say things like, well, I'm a good person and for these people and for other white people too, it's about wanting to be a good person and showing the world that you're good. I'm not like those white people, I'm a good white person. And that's your freaking problem right there. And that's also the problem fundamentally of a lot of these white liberals. Who, I, in my experience, who, who think that they're doing a good thing. They want to be seen as goody, goody, goody. You shouldn't want to be seen as a good person. You should be wanting to be seen as someone who actually cares and is doing the work. Not as a good person versus a bad person. This good versus bad. All these labels, good versus bad, black versus... I mean, again... That's what a society that oppresses does. It sets up all these categories of hierarchy. Are you the good one or are you the bad one? Are you the good black person or are you a bad one? Well, what does a bad one mean? Well, you speak up for yourself and your people and you care about the issues that affect them. You're bad. You're the one that sits in the corner and doesn't say anything when black people are being abused and these white folk are abusing us and the power structure is anti-black racist, and you sit in the corner and you go along with it, you're like Tim Scott. You're the good Negro. You're the good black person. God. Right? So this is how it goes. And so all of this is to say that there's been all these attacks on Diane Abbott now. Now, I'm not sitting here expecting that she's not going to get some blowback. It would be stupid of me, dear listener, to sit here and tell you that Diane Abbott shouldn't get some kind of criticism for this. She's gonna. And I understand that. What is very clearly happening in some quarters, however, is one thing to criticize what she said, and I spent a number of minutes of time, dear listener, over the last God knows how long doing that myself. It's one thing to criticize Diane Abbott, and she merits criticism, absolutely. She's apologized, but that doesn't mean she's insulated from criticism. Uh, I mean, oh, come on! I, I, criticism is one thing, and what I said I think would be criticism. But now to attack her and demonize her, and now call her names and all this other stuff—that's way beyond the pale. Now, look, I've called some people names, and I've—but I've—but when they've said things, I've said they're ignorant and foolish. I'm characterizing the nature of what they're saying. But when people start to talk personally about Diane Abbott and now you're going to get into all this other stuff, oh, come on now. That's that's way beyond the pale. And that goes for anyone. I've said this when people were criticizing Ivanka Trump, by the way, and they were attacking her child and all that and and you know harassing her child on a plane and harassing her. I mean, come on now. That's not, there's no place for that. No place for it. But when I hear these criticisms of Diane Abbott, she should have known better. How can you do that? As a black woman, you should know better. I mean, all this hectoring to her now. Diane Abbott's nearly seven zero years of age. She's nearly 70 years old. 70. And you've got people trying to make her out to be some teenager. Wagging their finger at her. And some of these people who are doing this are white liberals. You can count on the usual racist white conservatives doing this. Some of the people also doing this are white liberals. As if they're having a glee parade party. Over the fact that Diane Abbott made some ignorant ill-advised comments. I mean, that's what is going on here. And I think that that stuff is rooted in, I think, some deep-seated misogynoir. I think some of that is rooted in some deep-seated racism. I'm not saying that every white liberal who has criticized, or any white person who has criticized, whether they're conservative or not, or liberal or not, and I hate that term, liberal. I don't like the word conservative either, for that matter. But the bottom line is, is that I'm not saying that every white person who's critiqued or criticized Diana Abbott has some racist tendencies. What I'm saying is, is that some of the people who are critiquing her about what she wrote in The Observer, that letter, I think are. I think they absolutely are attacking her with a lot of glee and pride. And some of that is born out of their dislike of her, born out of perhaps racism against her. And I certainly am misogynoir. I think there's there's no question about that for me. That's my view. Now, do I know what's in their minds and their hearts? No, I don't. But I am saying that that's what I think is happening. And I've had this actually happen to me. I remember I was at a political rally here in San Francisco and a white woman came up to me after the rally was over and it was a rally about I don't know what it was about I don't even remember now what it was immigration whatever it was here in San Francisco this is about I don't know six or seven years ago now maybe seven or eight years ago maybe and the person the white person said to me where are black people come up to me after the rally and said where are and this is supposed to be in San Francisco so called liberal San Francisco which, of course, San Francisco is not. Again, I again, I just, I don't want to even use that term anymore. It should be banished. But I had a white woman, Some white, I don't even know this person from anyone. Just come up to me as a black person. Instead of just mind your own business, because, you know, there are some white people who don't mind their own business. In fact, there's more than a few who don't. In my personal experience, they just come up to you as if you're supposed to answer them and be at their beck and freaking call like you're a freaking butler or a waiter. Oh, waiter, can you, you know, not even, just suddenly, talk, not even an excuse me, just, just shout out to you like you're supposed to be at their beck and freaking call. That's what white privilege is, by the way, in part. The feeling that you can just walk down the street and anyone black or brown is supposed to answer to you like you're a freaking you know, queen or something, or a king. Shut up. That's one. So let's get that out the way. The other thing is this. This particular white woman comes up to me, complete stranger. I don't know who this person is. And asks me, why aren't there more black people at this rally? Like I'm supposed to be the freaking spokesperson for every freaking black person on the planet. Every freaking black person in San Francisco. What's left of us here? There's less than 5% of us here. Like, I'm supposed to have the freaking idea, oh, black one, Uh, why aren't there more people like you at this rally? Where are your numbers? And I, and I just ignored her, you know? Or I might have just said, if I remember, I might have said, I'm here. And I'm not the spokesperson for everyone. And I think something like that, and I just walked away from her. I shouldn't even have bothered engaging with someone like that. And the thing I should have said is, where are you when it comes to the issues that affect me? Like I'm supposed to be some freaking spokesperson. And really what they're doing in that instance is they're attacking you is what they're doing. That's not just a question. That's not some mere question that they're asking. That's an, they are attacking you. They're attacking you. In other words, why aren't, why aren't more of you here? You guys don't care about this issue. That's really what she was saying to me. But it's always that sinister thing, just like what Malcolm X said in the clip you heard earlier. This idea now—you know—you come up to us and is ooh, nice, ooh, you and yet you're racist as hell. You're as bad as these folks. These folks who are trying to destroy this country. You're as bad as those folks on January 6th, except you're not violent. I can't tell you how many times I've had this happen in this city. Where you have white people coming up to you saying, oh, well, you know, um, did you know that there's a fried chicken special on at Popeye's? I had that happen to me once here in San Francisco. A few years ago. Complete strangers, some white guy. Who the hell are you come up to at a bus stop talking? I'm walking past them. Oh, do you know there's a front? some of the most racist people on earth are here in San Francisco. Some of the most racist people on earth are here in California. I've told you over and over and over again. I've talked about Antioch, the police. I'll be doing another episode on that because those texts are even worse now. They just continue to get worse. And this notion that, you know, people... Are oh, they're all nice here, and no, they're friggin' not. There's some decent people here, but there's some racist ass people all over the place anti black, racist, and racist in other ways. I, it's just, I I have to tell you, it's just absolutely ludicrous, it really is, and offensive. And I think a lot of this is going on with Diane Abbott and it's more venomous because, yes, you should criticize her. I'm not saying she shouldn't be criticized. She's not beyond criticism, but it's totally, I think, I do think that some of this is, is just another way to attack her personally. Now, like I said, she should expect criticism. If you're Diane Abbott and you're not expecting to be criticized, well, you know, that's just very naive. But when you've got these people attacking her and talking about, oh, you know, you should know better, you know, that's the kind of hectoring and this kind of immature infantilizing of a black woman that happens so often across the world. And it's basically you're trying to treat her as if she is Butterfly McQueen. Now, you know who Butterfly McQueen was. She played a maid in Gone with the Wind, or a housekeeper. And she would always speak like this, and she would just say, yes, master. And she would talk like this. Oh, honey. Oh, baby. Her voice would be such a high octave, and she was a grown-ass woman, and she sounded like she was a seven-year-old. And that was by design in the 1930s movie Gone with the Wind. I think it was 1938 that came out, or 39. Right around the time that Jewish people were being exterminated in Nazi Germany and beyond, by the way. And that attack, those attacks on Diane Abbott that I was talking about a few moments ago, this is... uh, the kind of stuff that when these people attack and say, oh, she shouldn't do this, she should know better, it's kind of that treating her like she's Butterfly McQueen in Gone With The Wind. Butterfly McQueen was an actor. She played this character in Gone With The Wind. And I mean, that's how they're treating Diana, Diane Abbott, some of these folks. And I just think it's ridiculous. And it's this so-called white liberal who pretends to be your friend and then unleashes their fangs, some of these folks, when a black person says something that they don't agree with. If you want to be an ally, be an ally. And sometimes, and I don't even like that word, I prefer partner, because that means through thick and thin, hopefully, you are with that person and they are with you. But you really know where these folks stand when something like what Diane Abbott wrote is put out there. You really know where they stand. You really do. You really do. Now, again, it doesn't excuse what Diane Abbott did. It doesn't excuse that. What I'm saying here is that there are people who criticize her and then there are people who then personally attack her, right? And as I've said before, there are people who say things that I have criticized quite severely, but I don't go into their personal, personal attacks on them. I mean, there's maybe one or two exceptions to that. If you're talking about that piece of garbage. I just think that there is this certain glee and this certain relish that I think resonates from white people from all corners on Diane Abbott in the United Kingdom. Diane Abbott is not well liked by racists. And I do think that there are people who have chosen to... Go beyond just the criticism of her. I think that there is a lot of misogynoir. I don't think you can deny that. She has been, as I said, the most abused member of parliament throughout the United Kingdom. Has been for a number of years. Social media. She gets all kinds of death threats every day. Every day. She's talked about this. And I think that she's despised by a load of people. I'm not saying Diane Abbott's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. What I am saying is that Diane Abbott should be criticized for what she said, but it shouldn't be this freaking battle royale where people are freaking well jumping from the 20th floor onto a mosh pit of people who are on top of Diane Abbott because yeah, forgive the graphic image in your mind that I've just cultivated, but that is what it is. And I'm not even defending Diane Abbott in saying that. I'm not defending the comments she made. I already told you about what I thought about those comments. I've told you several times, but two wrongs don't make a right. And many things can be true at the same time. And one of them Is that there are white people who call themselves liberals who, like Malcolm X says, show you their fangs and aren't doing really a whole lot of anything to solve the issues that affect us as people. Just don't label yourself as a liberal at all. In fact, maybe not even as a progressive. Just label yourself as a human being who wants a better world, who wants a better way for everyone. Maybe that's better than calling yourself either a conservative or a liberal. Yesterday, President Biden unveiled his launch for re-election to President of the United States, and here is how he did it.
2: Freedom, personal freedom, is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red or blue issue. To protect our rights, to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally, and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms, cutting Social Security, you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy, dictating what health care decisions women can make, banning books and telling people who they can love, all while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty and respect and treating each other with dignity. That we're a nation where we give hate no safe harbor. We believe that everyone is equal, that everyone should be given a fair shot to succeed in this country. Thank you for choosing Thank us. You. Every generation of Americans have faced a moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. And this is our moment. We the people, not the side. Let's So if you're with me, go to JoeBiden.com. Let's finish this job. I know we can, because this is the United States of America. There's nothing, simply nothing we cannot do if we do it together.
0: I think that's a very good opening statement from President Biden. That's a great way to launch a campaign. What did you think of that campaign ad? By the way, you can actually watch that ad on JoeBiden.com. That's J-O-E-B-I-D-E-N.com. JoeBiden.com. See for yourself. I thought the ad was really good. I like the tone of the ad. I like the urgency, the first minute, minute and a half or so, focused on the dangers and the perils and what we need to do. And then the second half focused on the optimism and the things we can actually achieve if we stick together and work each other work with each other and achieve these things for change I, th- I thought it was really good it was a good balance i liked the the tone of joe biden's voice was even keel he wasn't shouting he wasn't you know growling at you And he doesn't typically do that in campaign ads. He might do that sometimes when he's on the stump. But I thought that you want to open your campaign up with this earnestness. And I think what you get from President Biden in that ad campaign, that ad, is earnestness. This kind of um, speaking softly and with a quiet, unyielding determination and resolution and an urgency being conveyed through a very soft and calm voice, rather than someone who's throwing fear at you. President Biden's not throwing fear at you in that ad. The Republicans do that in their ads. They throw lots of fear at you, get you afraid and galvanize your fear into voting for things that are against your best interests. President Biden is trying to, in that ad, appeal to the so-called better angels in people and persuading them that the way forward is to give me four more years of doing the things that I am doing to try to restore the balance in this country. Because it's been wickedly brought out of alignment, not just the previous four years with the piece of garbage, but over the last 40 years with Reagan. And I get it, you can't just turn this around overnight. But one thing President Biden has done, and he didn't say it in that ad, and I'm sure he'll get to do it in ads between now and the... 2024 presidential election is to talk about how 14 million jobs were created in the first year and a half to two years of his presidency. More jobs created than any other president in the same time period in their first term in history in the United States. That's one thing he can point to. There's so many accomplishments and that ad did not list any of them appreciably enough, really didn't say much about them, which... I can understand it to a degree because what President Biden's doing in that ad is introducing, or should I say reintroducing himself to the United States. And I loved in that ad how, and if you watch the ad, you'll see this, how he made a real point to include President, excuse me, Vice President Freudian Slip, Vice President Harris. He had many shots of her. You could see many shots of Vice President Harris in the ad. No accident for that. I think that was very clear. It was a clear message to these people who talk all this nonsense. Some of these people, some of these so-called white liberals and other people who talk this garbage and these stupid, these these white Republicans who talk this racist garbage. Oh, we don't, well, you really shouldn't bother with uh, having a black woman as vice president, you know, and, the, and these white white liberals say the same thing, some of them the whole thing with Gail Collins I talked about a few months ago, a few weeks back, her article in the New York Times, I'm for the removal of Kamala Harris, you know, I don't. I'm from the committee that wants her out as vice president, I mean it's just really pathetic isn't it, the misogynoir couldn't be more obvious, the racism the anti-black racism couldn't be more obvious and all this chatter in the corporate news media You know, all these people who want her out. You know, this is President Biden's response to that. Go the hell home. And that's really what President Biden was saying with those subtle but very clear glimpses of Vice President Harris during that campaign ad, which ran for three minutes and two seconds. But who's counting? So watch the ad. If you've not watched that ad, please go to JoeBiden.com. And watch the ad and also you can search for it on YouTube or also you can go on Joe Biden's Twitter handle. Not not POTUS but on Joe Biden, at Joe Biden. If you go to at Joe Biden, you will be able to see that ad. Now the reason why it's not on at POTUS is simple because it would violate the Hatch Act. And that means that once you are in office as president, you are not supposed to be speaking about campaign matters and you're not supposed to be involving yourself in campaign matters while you are running as president. Now, obviously, if you're president and you are at a campaign event, and that's obviously made clear, that's one other story. But in your, if you're inside the White House and you're talking about re-election and campaigning, you can't do that. It's a violation of the Hatch Act. Now, the previous administration, those criminal people, they spent all their time. Violating the Hatch Act. And I don't remember any of them being held to account for that at all. Not one. Not one. So I just wanted to say that that ad, I think, is a good ad. Again, listening to it, I think, is really good. You'll hear me play that um, more than once as we go through here. One of the things I'm going to do is get involved in, as I did last time, get involved in President Biden's campaign, as I did last time when he was vice president. Uh, Vice President Biden, I'm going to be sure to get involved in that, but that's not the only campaign I'm going to be involved in. I'm going to make sure that I get involved in a number of local campaigns and a number of state campaigns. You have to do this. I mean, look, it's not like I've got all the time in the world to do this either. I don't. I'm busy with many other things as well, like you are. I think that there is a necessity to get people out to vote, and that's one thing I really want to play a role in, And again, I talked about Black Voters Matter earlier on in this episode, and I really want you to donate to them, blackvotersmatterfund.org. And I know you'll be getting emails right about now from the vice president and from the president telling you to donate money to them. I think you should be instead donating money to blackvotersmatterfund.org. Black Voters Matter, again, they are an organization, among others, who bring out voters. They actually go and register voters. They register they've registered at least a few million voters over the last couple of years or two or three years this is what they do they do the hard work on the ground and you need to be donating your money to those organizations because they're the ones that get voters to turn out and vote so again i think that um, this ad from president biden was very good it's a nice rollout all this nonsense that gets talked about, oh, he's too old, all this. This is an ageist society. Why would you be surprised that within two seconds of President Biden rolling out that ad at 6 a.m. this or well, 6 a.m. yesterday morning, Eastern Time, that you would get media organizations with stories about, oh, he's too old. Oh, the, there's a poll saying that many Americans, many Democrats think he's too old. I mean, this is just this is a Republican talking point, right? This is what the Republicans say. And never mind the fact that the piece of garbage who's running is three years, only three years younger than President Biden. But, oh, Biden's so old. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And it's ageist and it should stop and it must stop. There's no place for that. But again, a society that says that a woman is done once she hits 30 is the kind of society you hear this garbage from as well, you know? Oh, he's too old. Wait a minute. He's accomplished a hell of a lot and so is this administration. So why don't you start talking about the accomplishments rather than the age? Why don't you start to talk about all the things that President Biden and this administration has accomplished rather than his freaking age instead of his age? There's lots of people who are, you know, half his age who haven't accomplished anything in life, let alone in an administration. Lots of politicians, Republicans, who are half his age and haven't done a damn thing except block everything. No, 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 no. That's the only word in the English language they know except for the word power, except for the word racism, except for the word hate, except for the word misogyny, except for the word anti-LGBTQIA. and Except for the word anti-Semitic, except for the word anti-Muslim. Or Islamophobic, come on, I mean, this is just silly. These silly conversations of oh, he's so old, he's the de- God, shut up. Give me a break, and again, it's only applied to the Democrats. you know the same thing with Senator Feinstein, oh, she's so old, she should retire. I mean, again, I've got words to say about that. I'll, I'll say that another time. You know, I, I don't I don't entirely, I don't agree with that she should retire either. I really don't. I think she should be allowed to stay in as long as she's able to. Now look, I disagreed with the whole thing around RGB. Um, that was more consequential to me to have someone with that kind of length of power um, be at the stage she was in her life and still hold on when you know that It's possible that if someone passes away during a Republican presidency, that someone being a Democratic-leaning Supreme Court justice, the chances are that the president who's a Republican is not going to put in a Democrat. That president's going to put in a Republican. And no one wanted to say that to RGB, and everybody was RBG, pardon me, RBG. No one wanted to say anything about that. She was, ha- she was a hagiographic figure, not to be touched. Nevertheless, you know, she didn't have any black, maybe one Supreme Court clerk who was black or maybe one black clerk in her entire clerk- in her entire career as a judge or a justice. Never mind that. I mean, no one said anything about that. But, oh, how she's such a great... And she was, listen, she's an in- she was a trailblazing figure. I'm not denying that. But all this hagiography that comes along afterwards, and then she passes away in office, and hello, look who was in the White House at the time. Not a Democratic president. And so now you've got a 6-3 court. That was something I was more concerned about than whether or not Senator Feinstein retires. I mean, I get it. You want your majority in the Senate. It's a very slim one to begin with. But my whole thing is anyway, it's just a whole, that's a whole nother story. And again, it's always directed at Democratic politicians. You've got Chuck Grassley. He's nearly 90 years of age, right? He's a Republican. He's still in there. Strom Thurmond was a Republican. He used to be a Democrat. That segregationist, he was in the U.S. Senate until he was 100 years old. Basically died in the Senate. Did anybody say anything about, oh, he should retire? I didn't really remember hearing in a lot of that at the time. Republicans weren't saying that about a Republican. They want his ass there as long as he can hang on. But, you know, it only, it only happens with Democrats, and it only usually happens with female Democrats as opposed to male ones. Speaker Pelosi, the same thing. Oh, she too old, she should give it up. Da, da, da. I've always talked about wanting newer leadership, but I've never said that she should resign. I never said that about Speaker Pelosi. Of course, what happened to her husband, that vicious attack on her husband here in San Francisco, that definitely influenced her decision, as well as the fact that the midterms ended up going to the Republicans where the House is concerned. But we've got lots of work to do. And this ad from President Biden is just the start. We have to get out there and educate people on voting. And one of the places you'll be able to hear that is right here, right here on this podcast. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter at the Popcorn R-E-E-L, on Spoutable at the following address S P O U T I B L E dot com forward slash popcorn R E E L The Politocrat Daily Podcast online store can be found at this web address, the dash dot com. And of course this podcast as well. Available for your downloading and listening pleasure. Please spread the word about The Politocrat TV podcast. It's available on all kinds of podcasting platforms, including Spotify and Apple and Amazon and Odyssey and Pandora. And I can go on and on and on and on. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat I'm Omar Moore.
1: It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly. Little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden, and that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us, and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising.